Well, morning, everyone. Um, I just, I just wonder whether whether you fancy a good story this summer, um, because. Uh, we're going to look at one that's got all sorts of things in it. In fact, there's not much that's not part of this story. So we're going to start off with a handsome young man. Um, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> that's just why we started the series like this. Um, with a privileged upbringing. Okay, this is where it goes wrong. Um, a, a dysfunctional family with some betrayal of siblings in there. Um, and then a position of trust and a, a would-be femme fatale and uh, there's injustice and suffering. We'll see abandonment and missed opportunities. We'll see surprising turns of events that just happen and powerful rulers, people who rule the world, in fact. We'll see worldwide disaster come into the story and still a thin thread of hope running through. We'll see stolen cups, randomly, and jealousy. We'll see forgiveness and reconciliation. We'll see a life that spans 110 years and we'll be looking at most of those in the course of that time. And it just feels to me like today is the start of beginning to look at what is an absolutely incredible and wonderful story, the story of Joseph. It's it's the single biggest account uh, within the book of Genesis. Bigger, more, more kind of column inches than Abraham, which is interesting. And he's a very complex character, and there's going to be an awful lot of things which come out of, of the story. But I think that time and time again, we're going to be reminded what it means to live as a person who is part of the kingdom of God. We'll look at Joseph's exemplary character, his outrageous grace to those he encounters, his magnificent integrity, which shines like a beacon, his outstanding wisdom, which makes him the second most powerful person in the world. And we'll see his faithful service to God. And as we look at this story, we're going to be constantly asking the question, what lessons from his life help me live life as a kingdom person today? And so just before we start, I thought I'd give a a little kind of, well, what do we actually mean by a kingdom person or kingdom people? And I want to make it very simple for us. Um, And all we mean by that is people who are living out a life of following Jesus, who is the king. People whose lives have been transformed by God. And are therefore part of the kingdom of God. People whose allegiance is solely to the king. And didn't that theme come out today with with Fee's contribution about our desire is for him? And so as we look at the story of Joseph, there's many different things we could look at. But we're going to emphasize this angle about kingdom living in a hostile world. And hopefully that will be something which strengthens us and helps us to live our lives for Jesus. And our hope is that as we get into the story of Joseph, it gets into us and, uh, and we become better equipped to live as he did, which I think is as a person who models what it means to be a person of the kingdom. So today we start and I'm very excited and we're going to pray. Jesus, we absolutely love your word. 
We love the fact that it is so rich, so many characters, so many details, so many intricacies, so many lines of story, so much richness for us. We thank you that we get this privilege of spending nine weeks looking at the story of Joseph. Father, speak into our hearts from first moment to last moment. Speak into our hearts. Emphasize the things you want to emphasize to us. May we be open to your spirit. And Father, as we look at this opening chapter of Joseph as a 17-year-old boy, would you speak into the hearts of each one of us? Amen. So a lot of these passages that we're going to be looking at across the the course of the next few weeks are quite long. Um, Today's is no exception. I'm going to break it into four parts and then speak a bit about each part. So if you've got your Bibles, it'd be great if you could turn to uh, Genesis chapter 37. And I'm going to just start off by reading the first four verses. Now, Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. These are the records of the generation of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel, uh, Israel is the Bible uses the names Jacob and Israel interchangeably because God gives Jacob a new name, Israel, a couple of chapters before this. So now Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a very colored tunic. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. So Joseph, we see here right at the start of the story, is the favorite son of his father's favorite wife, who was called Rachel. And we see that in verse three, where it says he loved him more than all his other sons. So let's just do a bit of a backtrack and and kind of pick up the story. (coughs) Jacob had fallen in love with Rachel. It's a, a wonderful story. He kind of falls in love and seven years pass in a day sort of thing because he's so in love. And, uh, and then he gets to marry her and find that actually he's got the wrong woman. And he's tricked into marrying Leah, who is Rachel's sister. And uh, it's their dad, Laban, who's also Jacob's uncle. So it's slightly complicated. But anyway, um, He marries Leah and uh, he's not happy. He still loves Rachel. So he marries Rachel as well. And uh, immediately Leah produces a number of children. Um, Rachel, meanwhile, is pretty much instantaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think nine months or something has to do with it. But yeah. Um, And uh, and Rachel, meanwhile, has has none. So. They think, well, what can we do about this? And Jacob tries to force the issue by sleeping with Rachel's maid, who is called Bilhah. The idea being that because she's like a maidservant, so if she has children, they kind of count as Rachel's. So that's the thinking. So that's what he does. And and lo and behold, uh, Bilhah has some sons. Um, Leah thinks, hang on a minute, I could join this party. And so she gives her maidservant to Jacob as well. She's called Zilpah and she also bears some sons. So there are these kind of four wives sort of swilling around in the mix. There's there's 10 sons, none of them by Rachel. Um, and I mean, 
well, we know the story, don't we? And I noticed that on Facebook today, some people were suggesting that maybe, maybe they weren't suggesting this, but it felt to me like maybe we should watch Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat instead of preaching, because um, it kind of covers the story. So I looked up some of the lyrics way, way back, many centuries ago. Not long after the Bible began. A fine example of a family man. What? I think we need to be very careful where we draw our theology from. I think there would be question marks if my other three wives came on a Sunday morning. Um, that was a joke. Um, but So ten sons later, and then eventually, Rachel conceives. And Joseph was the result of that. It says in Genesis 30, 22, in fact, I'll read it. Then God remembered Rachel and God gave heed to her and opened her womb. So she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. She named him Joseph saying, may the Lord give me another son, or may the Lord add. That's what the name Joseph means. And so Joseph is a result of God remembering. And quite soon after that, God gave Rachel another son, Benjamin. But during the birth of Benjamin, Rachel dies. And so Jacob loses his favorite wife. He's, he's now got two extra sons. He's up to 12 now. And Joseph then kind of takes on this extra significance within Jacob's thinking. He's the firstborn of the woman he loved, who's now died. He's been born after much longing, much heartache and much waiting. Born in his old age, we reckon that Jacob was probably about 90 years old when Joseph was born. And Joseph becomes the favoured son. And to indicate that, Joseph, Jacob gave Joseph a coat, a very coloured coat, a, a robe of many colours, the ESV says, or richly ornamented robe, the NIV, or multicoloured, as Lloyd Webber says to us. He did write it, didn't he? Yeah. Um, some of the older versions call it a long-sleeved coat. But the significance of that is it wasn't a practical coat. You couldn't go out herding the flocks in that coat. And so it was Jacob sending a very strong message that Joseph doesn't need to work anymore. He basically is going to inherit. It was a symbol of like the firstborn, the one who would inherit. He would inherit and he doesn't need to work. He just gets it all given to him. And this is where we see this dysfunctional family really kind of implode. So... The treatment of Joseph by Jacob causes such hatred to arise in his ten brothers. I don't include Benjamin. He was a bit younger, but anyway, in his brother's hearts uh, that we see in verse four, they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. And this is not a harmonious family. And I think you can argue that Jacob was definitely in the wrong here. Absolutely. Favoritism, not a good way to parent. Definitely not. Um, you could argue that the brothers were in the wrong. I'd agree with that, too. I think they were. I think hating someone is clearly not good. And we're commanded to love. We're commanded, you know, hatred is just not an option for us. 
Some people would argue that Joseph was in the wrong. Well, maybe he was. Maybe he paraded around going, look at my coat. Woo! And did that dance. I've watched YouTube. I've been checking out this multicolored dream coat thing. And there's all like swirling and stuff. <laughs> maybe that's what he did. Maybe just swanned around in it like that. Maybe he was just a really irritating younger brother. Maybe. We know that he did bring back a, an unfavorable report about his brother, a kind of telling tales. And you know the sort of thing, don't you? That you tell a child off for doing something and the other ones become so perfect. And, oh, oh, anything I can do to help, daddy. Oh, you know, that kind of thing. So maybe there's a bit of that. So maybe Joseph is partly to blame here. But I really think that Jacob has an awful lot to answer for, for the, what he put into this family at this point. Particularly when you remember that he knew what it was like to live with favoritism. So Jacob had a twin brother called Esau. And their father and mother were called Isaac and Rebekah. And we're told in scripture that Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. He knew, and that led to all sorts, I mean, we can't even go there today, but that led to a whole load of other mess. So he knew what it was like to have favoritism there, to be unfairly treated, to have siblings set against each other. And yet he still persisted in choosing his favorite. And I thought, well, you know, when you see a few things in scripture, maybe that's actually meant to be the pattern. Maybe favoritism, that's the way to go. So I checked with Kate, who runs our parenting courses, and just said to her, is it advisable to choose your favorite child and treat them really differently? She said, no. Um, she said, absolutely don't do that, Simon. Um, but what she did say, which was interesting, and this is the kind of serious bit, she said, it's not recommended that you choose your favorite child mainly because of the potential mental health implications for your children in the future. Oh, really? When you look at this story, that's really interesting insight. So don't choose your favorite. But let's for a moment just try and look past Jacob's failings. We know it was flawed. We know that when we read the stories within scripture of humans, they are flawed. It's easy to get distracted by that and say, what a terrible father. But let's just think for a minute about Joseph. Joseph was in the position of having the favor of his father on him. That's a powerful thing. He knew that his father had picked him out, chosen him and loved him. And whatever we think about the, the kind of Jacob doing that, OK, I'm not advocating that. But for Joseph, he knew that he was the favored son. He knew he was special. And so I just want to ask you this this morning. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are this morning? Each of us has been picked out, has been identified by God, has been chosen, has been called, has been drawn near to our loving Heavenly Father. Every one of us. And what I'd like you to do is take a look in a virtual mirror now. You might have a real mirror. If so, great. Get that out. Um, But a virtual mirror. Hold it up in front of you. I'm serious. You can do this. Virtual mirror. Hold it up in front of you. Look at yourself and say, I am chosen by God. You can do that if you want. I did this this morning. 
it's really uncomfortable when you're actually looking at your face. But it is true. I'm chosen by God. My heavenly father loves me with an everlasting love. The favor of the father rests on me. I have been picked out and chosen by him. I also want you to look at what you're wearing. Do you know what you're wearing? You're wearing a multicolored robe. You're wearing the multicolored robe of righteousness that you're allowed to wear because of what God has done for you. That's what you're wearing. He's clothed you with righteousness. That symbolizes the inheritance that you are going to have because of what he's done for you. You can only wear that robe of righteousness because of the blood of Jesus, which washes you clean so you can be declared righteous. So you can parade around like that. You can do your twirly dance thing with the robe of righteousness on you. It's amazing. Our father has no favorites. His love is unabounding. If that means big. He can't love you any more than he does. And he will not love you any less than he does. Augustine said, God loves every man as though there were no one else to love. God loves every man as though there were no one else to love. That's who we are this morning. Each of us is the favoured son or daughter of the king. And so for kingdom people, we have to live in that. We have to live in the favour of God. We have to know the favour of God on us, know who we are in him, that we're sons and daughters of the king. So that's the first thing, the favoured son. The second bit of the story is all about dreams. So we'll pick up the story in verse five. Then Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, please listen to this dream which I've had. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf rose up. And stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Then his brother said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you really going to rule over us? So they hated him even more. I mean, they already couldn't speak nicely to him. Now they hate him even more for his dreams and for his words. Verse 9. Now he had still another dream and sensibly related it to his brothers. (laughs) And said, lo, I have had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you've had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. On Friday morning, first day of the holidays, uh, Joseph and Ben, my two sons, were watching some telly and the conversation went like this. I say conversation. You can judge. Um, Ben, who is the best? I am the best. Joseph, no, I am the best. (laughs) Ben, no, I am the best. Joseph, no, I am the best. Ben, okay, we're both the best. (laughs) Joseph. No, I am the best. (laughs) 
when they play, they just want to be the best, the winner, the top person, the one with special powers. At the moment, when we play football, it's all about, I'll be Wales, I'll be Bale and Ramsey, and you be England. <laughs> yeah. They never choose to be the loser. Oh, go on, Dad, you be the... Never. They never want to be the, the rubbish one. The goalkeeper that makes mistakes. They let me be that. And I don't know whether you've noticed, but when you talk to young children about what they want to be when they're older, it's always something amazing, always something with greatness attached to it, always something significant, always something that's kind of out there, superhero style in their eyes. They obviously filter the, uh, the world through their experiences, but that's what they want to be. And it's just made me wonder why, why it is that all of us seem to, at that age, be naturally kind of hardwired into wanting to be great. Well, we reflect our creator, don't we? And he's the best. He's the greatest. So, of course, we want to be. There's something in us that wants to be like that and reflect him. And so for Joseph here, he knew that his father loved him. He knew that. He had the coat to prove it. He was secure in who he was. And then God gave him dreams. I love the way that the, the, he knew the favor of the father and then the dreams from God came. And again, we may well question whether it was sensible for Joseph to share the content of his dreams in the way he did with his family especially because they didn't even speak to him. So, And we may accuse him of being an arrogant upstart and you know, foolish and all that kind of thing. We may say, well, it was just showing that his character needed developing. Maybe, maybe. What we can definitely say is that God gave him dreams. We can definitely say that. Now, dreams are a kind of invasion of our consciousness by God. They, the dictionary definition of dreams is a succession of images, thoughts or emotions passing through the mind during sleep. I wondered about sharing one that I'd had earlier this week, which involved uh, a kind of very oversized rabbit accusing me of not phoning the police. And, but I decided that might be a distraction. So um, I won't. But it's, it's <laughs> sweet you after co- <laughs> during coffee. But the. It's a kind of takeover, if you like. It's some, we're not in control of what we're thinking when we're asleep. And I love the way that God can grab a hold of that and place things deep inside us during our dreams. But I think as well, it's no coincidence that our dreams, we talk about our dreams, meaning our aspirations and our hopes for the future. This kind of dreams of grandeur, if you like. And here... God gives Joseph a dream at night that stirs in him dreams of the future. And he takes this as God speaking to him. Why wouldn't he? God said it twice. But he took it as being this will come about. From this moment onwards, he knew that this would come about because God had put that deep inside him. And God used those dreams to kind of place destiny in his heart. They shaped the course of his life. And given that we live post-Pentecost, 
So the Holy Spirit has been poured out. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, your young men shall see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Well, here's an example of a young man dreaming dreams as well. But there's something about God speaking to us. And there's incredible stories at the moment. I've just read in the last few weeks about many, many Muslims having dreams of Jesus. And that being something which which makes them kind of realize who Jesus is, draws them to God. Phenomenal. If that's not destiny changing dreams, then I don't know what is. But we should expect this. We should expect dreams to be placed in our heart by God. And so what are your dreams? What is it that that God has put in there at some point in the past? What is it that God's just given you that you're living with that periodically you come back to and go, God, that's you said that. And I think another aspect of kingdom people is that they're people who live with God given dreams placed in their hearts. We know the favour of God and we know that God has put destiny in our hearts, dreams in our hearts. So the favoured son who dreamed. But then there's something in here about mission as well. If we turn back to the passage in verse 12. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come. And I will send them to send you to them. And Joseph said to him, I will go. Then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. A man found him and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? And he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They've moved on from here, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. So mission. Joseph is sent on a mission by his father. And the mission is this, to check on the welfare of his brothers. That's what it says in verse 14. And he sent to Shechem. Um, so we read that in verse 12 where he sent to Shechem. Shechem is about 50 miles north of Hebron where they were living. So a fair trek. And it's fairly dangerous territory. And the reason for that is, and we won't have time to read it now, and it's a pretty horrible story. But um, in chapter 34, we read why Shechem became such an issue. Um, when you read it, just bear in mind that the, the word Shechem or the name Shechem refers to the city and it refers to the prince of the city as well. Okay, so yeah, just be careful when you read it. So basically Shechem, the city, was ruled by this family. The local prince was called Shechem and he raped Dinah, who was one of Jacob's daughters. And after he'd raped her, he wanted to marry her. So uh, Jacob's sons basically said, Sorry, we can't marry you. You're not circumcised. If all your males get circumcised, then we'll marry you and we'll all live happily ever after. And uh, Shechem was so into Dinah and wanted to marry her that they said, OK, everyone gets circumcised. 
So they got circumcised. And while they were still in pain, all the men here are wincing. um, While they were still in pain, Simeon and Levi, who are two of the older sons of Jacob, went and they killed all of the men in the city and looted the city. Like I say, really nice story. Um, So when Joseph is sent on this mission, he's sent to Shechem. I think he's sent to Shechem because Jacob knows that that's where the brothers have gone. It's good pasture land. That's where they'd settled years earlier and had to move on because of this incident. And he, Jacob knew that those sons were therefore in danger, that there was a risk of revenge from the locals. And so he sent Joseph off to check. Check on the welfare of your brothers. And um, I just wonder, as he kind of waved goodbye to his you know, multicolored clothed son, that he thought that would be the last time he'd see him in over 20 years. Just sent him on a little, check out your brothers. 20 odd years later, he sees him again. But once he'd been given the mission, what I find interesting is Joseph willingly does it. Verse 13, he said to him, I will go. He knew that he was going to a dangerous place. He knew he was going to a dangerous place with people who didn't even speak to him. But he went anyway. And when he got to Shechem, they weren't there. Now, you could have thought, or Joseph could have thought, they're not here. Therefore, they're safe. I only needed to check that they were okay in Shechem. I'll go back home and report that everything's fine. But instead, he goes on to Dothan, another 15 miles away. He pursues them there. He kind of takes the mission to completion. He wants to set eyes on his brother so he can report back fully, which I think is interesting. So his mission is to check on the welfare of his brothers. I wonder what your mission is. What is it that the Father's given you to do? Where is it he's placed you to go? It's probably not... 130 mile round trek to Dothan and back to check on your siblings. But what is it that he has given you to do? You see, kingdom living is living on a mission. It's part of the kingdom. And it might be, it could be all sorts of things. It could be praying for healing for people on the streets. It could be writing poetry for God's glory. It could be getting into politics could be teaching, could be occupational therapy, could be raising children, writing accounts, could be playing sport, being creative, could be interceding or writing or horticulture or conservation or construction or cooking or catering or singing or listening. It could be anything. Anything. It's the mission that God's given you to do. And it's quite possibly linked to your dreams. And when God commissions, we go. And we go willingly and we go and we do it to completion. I think that's what's being said here in this passage. And all of us have to view ourselves as living on a mission. Living on a mission, which boils down to being salt and light in the place where God places us. We've been looking at this kingdom series for for a few months and time and again, it comes through that we're people called on a mission. So where's God placed you? What's he called you to do? Kingdom people live on a mission where everything they do is in the service of the king. 
So that's the third thing. The fourth thing then, I think, is suffering. Let's read the last bit of the story. Verse 18. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. And they said to one another, here comes that dreamer. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a wild beast has devoured him. And let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and restore him to his father. So it came about when Joseph reached his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very coloured tunic that was on him, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh. Don't you love some of the detail that just goes into scripture there? on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and let's not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up, lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus, they brought Joseph to Egypt. Now Reuben returned to the pit and behold, Joseph wasn't in the pit and he tore his garments. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is not there. As for me, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat, and dipped the tunic in the blood, and sent the very coloured tunic, and brought it to their father, and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Note, your son's, not our brother's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Joseph tore his, Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, surely I will go down to Sheol in mourning for my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar. Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the guard. Suffering. Suffering. The fourth, the fourth characteristic, I think, that can be true of kingdom people. I think it's very easy for us to assume that, that if we're favoured by God, we've got dreams in our heart and we're sent on a mission, which we willingly do to the best of our ability, that things are going to be straightforward and work out. I think we can think that. We're doing God's will. Of course it's going to work out. But often there's a cost that needs to be paid. And we kind of reason that if I've heard God correctly, then this mission should work out. I think what we really mean when we say that is, if I've heard God correctly, then this mission should work out in the way I imagined it to work out. And there's a big difference sometimes. 
There's no doubt that Joseph here, he's doing what the father asked him to do, and yet it comes to an unfortunate end. He's gone to find his brothers. They see him miles off with his beacon coat shining as he comes towards them, and they plan to kill him. And just they surround him and start to hit him and mock him. What's coming of your dreams now? Did you dream this would happen? Smack. Whatever it might be. Begin to taunt him. Tear his coat off. These are grown men. Ten men surrounding their brother who's little more than a boy. Then they throw him into the pit as he screams for help. I didn't do this in a nice way. We read in Genesis 42 and verse 21. uh, Truly, we're guilty concerning our brother because we saw the distress of his soul when he pleaded with us, yet we would not listen. They knew what they were doing and they still did it. And so instead of that dream which Joseph had of his sheaf standing upright and his brothers bowing down around, we see him in the bottom of a pit and the brothers looking over to see whether he's made it to the bottom yet. It's not pleasant. Not pleasant. Then they sit down to, you know, they've worked up an appetite now. And they see these traders come in and they decide that the best course of action is to sell their brother to them into slavery. Imagine it. They knew they'd never see him again. They didn't care. At least we don't have to kill him. And so off he goes into Egypt. Let me read you this verse. John 1.11 talking of Jesus, he came to his own, but those who were his own did not receive him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. Jesus was sent on a mission by the Father. He was sent to check out the welfare of his brothers, as in make sure that there was a way to the Father. He was sent by the father to those who hated him, sent for the welfare of his brothers. And we didn't receive him. We were happy to sell him for a few pieces of silver, just like Joseph was. We were prepared to kill him and in fact did kill him. Jesus was mocked. He saved others, let him save himself. Joseph, what's going to become of his dreams now? So many parallels as we go through this story of Joseph when looking at Jesus. See what becomes of his dreams now. There's no doubt that Joseph suffered here. No doubt that things weren't working out as he planned or envisaged that they would. But kingdom people have to be willing to suffer for the mission of the king. The cost of discipleship, Jesus calls it. We're called on a mission, dreams in our hearts, and yet there could well be a cost to play. Cost to pay, I should say. And so this raises the question of what do we do when suffering arrives? What do we do when things don't work out quite how we envisaged? And I think it's probably too easy, and certainly I'm guilty of this, too easy to allow experiences and disappointments and sufferings to chip away at my dreams. 
and I rationalize it and think, well, I must have heard wrong. Maybe I got that wrong. Who was I to even think that that was going to be the right thing anyway? Who am I? Just got carried away, caught up in things. Maybe that's true of you. Maybe it isn't. Maybe you're able to still hold on to those dreams which were laid down years ago and grip them tight and go, no, I'm still going for this. This is still alive for me. In which case you can pray for the rest of us. But it's easy for the enemy to come in and start to chip away at that. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I'll tell you who you are. You're the favoured child of the king. That's who you are. That's who Joseph was. Even in the pit, he was the favoured child of the father. And I wonder whether this morning it's time to awaken some dreams for some people. Maybe you feel like you're sat in the bottom of the pit and your dreams are just shattered in pieces around you where you landed. Maybe you feel like you're kind of on that slave cart heading off in a totally different direction that you never thought you'd be heading. Maybe this whole episode in Joseph's life resonates with you because there was a time when you knew who you were, where you knew who your dreams were, but then something's cut in and started to take that away from you, rob you of that. We sang earlier, let your word move in power, Let's what, let what's dead come to life. And I thought of this conclusion to my sermon at that point. What's dead, maybe there are dreams which have just withered away a bit and it's time to get the Holy Spirit to blow them back into life again. So I think it's going to be a good summer. I hope that was a good start. But there's so much in the story, so much that we can apply to ourselves. But this idea of being kingdom people on a mission, knowing the favour of God and expecting that when suffering comes, we're well equipped for it, I think is really important. So what I'd like us to do is just stand. And I'd just like us to reflect. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit's kind of prompting in you at the moment. Jesus, we thank you for these moments where we can look at you. Where we can remember afresh who we are in you. The fact that you have called us and chosen us. The fact that you have clothed us in righteousness. The fact that we are seated with you in heavenly places. The fact that we are called and part of your kingdom. People on a mission. People on the service of the king in whatever field or whatever area you've placed us into. Whatever passions and dreams you've placed in our hearts. Father, I pray for us now that... Even as we go into the summertime where things begin to maybe slow down a bit, relax a bit. Father, I pray it will be a a time of recharging, reinvigorating, re-energizing in you. That there'll be a re-envisioning in each one of us. Father, I pray that you would blow by your Holy Spirit on the, the embers of our dreams that they would be fanned into flame, that you would remind us of what it is you've called us to. 
and teach us, we pray, through this story of Joseph. May we be people who are truly on a kingdom mission in your service. Amen.